Well, what's happening, early crowd? 7.30, he is risen. He is risen and so are you. John chapter 20, that's our text. We've been asking the question from last Sunday all the way through this week. What kind of king? Today we know the answer. Today the answer is abundantly clear. Today the answer is this. What kind of king? Risen and reigning. I'll ask the question, you give the answer. What kind of king? Friends, this is it. Like this is it. This is the truth. This is the foundation. This is the very bedrock of our faith. At the core of what we believe is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The very source of who we are as Christian crumbles if this truth does not prevail. The resurrection is at the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach, we preach, we preach Jesus Christ, perfect life. We preach Jesus Christ died. We preach Jesus Christ buried. We preach Jesus Christ raised from the dead. We preach Jesus Christ appeared unto the masses. Witnesses have seen. And you're here this morning because you stand among them. Your life has been transformed by a resurrected Jesus. The resurrection is the actual source of our very spiritual vitality. Come on, let's drop some theological terms this morning. He is risen, and here's what it means. It means that you are justified. It means it was resurrection power that actually enabled for your sins to be paid for and forgiven. Romans chapter 4. It's the very source of your sanctification. You're not who you were because Jesus Christ raised from the dead Romans 6, 4. The very power, the very power, the very power of Jesus' resurrection is residing inside of you, and it's changing you day after day after day. You see your justification, your sanctification, but how about this? Your very continuation, day by day by day by day, is found in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Your justification, your sanctification, your continuation, now this, friends, come on. Your glorification, your glorification. Oh, my word, it would not be a resurrection Sunday if we did not say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, clap your hands for that. It's a little bit of a party this morning. This is a celebration. Come on, friends. What kind of king? Say risen and reigning. This is why the Apostle Paul says, this is why the Apostle Paul prays that we would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. This is also why the Apostle Paul warns that without it, we are to be most pitied. We know the theological truth surrounding the resurrection. Justification, sanctification, continuation, glorification. We know, we know, we know what it means. But it's this in between of the power and the pity sometimes that I find myself residing. The resurrection is the power of God unto salvation, but yet at the same time, but at the same time, the Apostle Paul says what? Without it, we are most pitied. Even here, while we know the very foundation, the very bedrock of our faith, we know it all rests here, but here we are again. This is actually the spot where most Christians' faith is tested. 
the most. Why? It takes faith to believe this. The Bible's not hiding that, by the way. Like, the Bible's not cloaking it. The Apostle Paul writes this, for the word of the cross, by the way, the word of the cross speaks of the whole gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. When you see the word of the cross, he's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So he's saying this, the gospel is a folly to those who are perishing. It is foolishness to those who just pass by. But to those who are being saved, what? To those who are being saved, what is it? It is the power. Say power. It is the power of God. And you see, between the folly, between the foolishness and the power, there's faith. What moves me from foolishness to power is faith. But you know what keeps me from, you know what keeps me at power and not falling back to foolishness in my own flesh? Same thing. It's faith. I live in this tension, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Do you feel it, Christian? Do you feel this tension? Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of your faith. Faith is a gift. It was granted unto you. You didn't earn it. You believe today because Jesus opened your eyes. He tuned your ears. He awakened your soul. But then there's Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, which says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This cosmic tension, Jesus Christ, the author of my faith, nothing I can do, but at the same time, working out my own salvation with fear and trembling, and this is why we need to visit the tomb, visit the resurrection. This is why we need to come here and preach the resurrection power of Jesus to ourselves over and over and over and over and over again. Friends, oh, what a grace of God that we celebrate Easter every year. Oh, what a grace of God that here we come. Oh, what a grace of God that we zoom in on these texts of Scripture, these truths again. Why is it a grace? Because here it is again. It forces us to examine the foundation of our faith. How's your faith? You know what the beautiful thing is about worshiping a risen Savior? Do you know? Do you know? Well, there's a lot of things for sure. You know what one of the most beautiful things about worshiping a risen Savior is this morning? There's an empty tomb. And you see, when the doubts creep in, when the uncertainties creep in, when you're living between the tension of Hebrews 2.12 and, Hebrews 12, 2 and Philippians 2.12, here you can come. We can go and we can once again examine the empty tomb. You know, followers of Jesus Christ have been examining the empty tombs for centuries. And as a matter of fact, in John chapter 20, in the passage that was read, that we sat under this morning, that's exactly what the believers in Jesus Christ did from day one. They went and examined the tomb. Come on, John chapter 20, in the text laying in front of you, here's what we see. We see Mary Magdalene. We see Peter and John. By the way, John, that is the disciple whom Jesus loved. In humility, he decides not to name himself, and so he says, the other disciple. Man, the context here, the context here is like unbelievable. 
Like for the preparer, for the one studying the Bible, you're like, oh my word, this is un, like this, this can never happen again. You know what's actually going down here? Here you have believers in Jesus Christ, people who love the Lord, people who've walked with the Lord, people who've walked away from everything for Jesus, people who literally, who literally turned away from their vocations, their livelihoods, and have followed after Jesus, now standing outside of the tomb by verse 9 or 10, all three of them standing outside of the tomb, and not one of them believes that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. Come on, get your theological head around that. It'll make it hurt real fast. Jesus is going to take care of that. But here they stand, empty tomb. What do they think? What do they think? Anyone remember? Pop quiz. They're thinking what? Somebody did what with the body? They did what? They stole the body. What else could it have been? The thought of him raising from the dead never even crossed their mind. Nevertheless, here they are, all of them having their own motivations for being there. Certainly, they were all motivated with a lot of unity as well. They all loved Jesus. They all longed to honor him. But given their backgrounds... I think we're pretty safe to assume that all three of them came to the tomb that morning with their own individual motivations. They had their own reasons for examining the tomb. How about you? Why are you here this morning? It's Easter, right? Like, this is what we do. You see, visiting empty tombs kind of sort of wasn't what they did. Visiting an empty tomb is not something that normal people do. Coming here because of something to do is not normal. Coming here and going through the motions of a, of a message that is regarded as folly is anything but normal. And so we have to pause here and ask ourselves, what motivates us in coming? Why are we here again, another Easter, another resurrection morning? What is it? What motivated you in coming to this place? Perhaps you can relate to the motivations of the three who were gathered here. Verse 1 of the text, check it out, Mary Magdalene on the first day of the week. By the way, that's Sunday. Christians now worship on Sunday because that's the morning. That is the day of our, the resurrection of our Savior. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. She came to the tomb early. By the way, so we can just help you around your lunch discussion today, around your Easter meal, uh, she's all by herself in this text. And if you know anything about the other Gospels, you're like, uh-oh, uh-oh. The other gospels, all the other gospels say multiple women. What, women, what in the world's going on here? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, either she went super early on her own and then returned with the others. That's one option. Another option is simply this. These things are written that you may believe. John is laser focused on his narrative and what he's writing. And the reason why he's mentioning Mary Magdalene alone, because she's the central player here. He has something he wants you to know about Mary's motivation in coming to the tomb. And so she goes. And how early does she go? How early is it? How early? What does your text say? It's so early that it's kind of like how it was this morning when you had to get up to come here, right? 
Now, what the world? What wakes you up that early? I heard someone say, my mom. <laughs> Not wrong. What, wake, what woke her up that early? Why did she get up that early? Why did she go to the tomb? You know why? You know why? You know why? Simply because she could. You know why you're here this morning? Because you can be. Praise God for that. She went because she could, because she could. You know why else she went? Because she, in the heart, her heart of hearts, there's no other place she would have wanted to be. You, you relate to that? There's no other place that she would have wanted to be. You see, maybe you're here this morning like Mary out of a heart of debt, a heart of gratitude, a debt of gratitude floods your soul, and you know that this is the day, this is the morning. There's no other place you need to be but here. You see what Mary is motivated by is that Jesus Christ radically transformed her, her life. You know the story of Mary Magdalene? Mary from Magna? Called out of a life of presumed sin? Oppressed? Possessed by evil. We read earlier in the gospel how Jesus Christ literally cast seven demons out of her. And so with a depth of gratitude, what does she do? She runs to the, she runs to the tomb early in the morning. This transformation caused her with a debt of gratitude to follow Jesus all the days. She followed Jesus all the way to the foot of the cross. She followed Jesus now all the way here to the empty tomb. But the thought of him being alive never crossed her mind. Why is she here so early? Because she longed to see Jesus properly buried. She knew that Nicodemus She knew that Jesus' body wasn't properly prepared. She couldn't let him be buried like that. So she comes. Can you imagine? I don't think we, we capture this very often. We came in here like celebrating already. Mary went to the tomb already dejected. Only to go there and find the tomb open. Believing that things went from bad to worse. But she's motivated. She's motivated because of a debt of gratitude. She was released from sin. She was released from bondage. How about you? There's no way we can let Jesus lay when we know that we've been released from sin. There's no way that we can let our minds go back and believe that Jesus is simply 
just stolen somewhere else, that it's all a farce. We cannot. We cannot. Our lives have been transformed. What is it, friends? What is it that Jesus Christ released you from? What is it? What is it? Now look in the tomb. Now go examine the tomb. Look inside, and here's what you're going to see. Jesus is not there, and neither is your sin. That's the glory of the resurrection. This is what motivated Mary to go. And so she looks. The tomb is empty. And so what does she do? Verse, verse 2. Now she runs and she goes tells Peter and John, the one whom Jesus loved. And what does she tell them? She tells them her assumption. She knows what she tells them. The facts, the stones is rolled away. But now the assumption. What else is she left to believe? Somebody has taken her Lord and I have no idea what they've done with him. Verse 3. Now Peter and John are in a foot race. They make their way up to the tomb. John, John is humble. John is humble. John is humble. He doesn't give his name. But Pastor Ed pointed out to me, now, he may be humble, but he's apparently competitive. Because he mentions more than once that he won. Catch that? Like John got there first. John got there first. John got there. He peeks inside, sees that it's empty. And then just, and then what happens? Peter comes buzzing up through. He's like, out the way, out the way. And Peter looks down in there. And what does he see? He sees the burial cloth and some, and, and the face gone all kind of folded up perfectly in his place. You know why Peter, you know why Peter went barging in there? Do you know why? Do you know why? Anybody, anyone? Because he's Peter. Like that's what Peter does. Some of y'all come barging in here today, all kinds of type A, and you just want to get in here and you want to worship your king. But what I want, I want you to kind of think about this morning is what was motivating Peter to come in there in such a swift pace? Again, he doesn't have the joy yet. He doesn't know yet. He hasn't, he hasn't realized yet. What is his motivation for coming and examining the empty tomb? Disappointment and guilt. We had a very strong reason to believe his reason for coming was disappointment and guilt. Think about it. He doesn't know Jesus is raised yet. All he knows, body not there, body stolen. He is gone. Think about it. He's gone from I must die. I will die before I deny you to denying him three times. Peter looks inside, there's no body. What is he thinking? What is Peter thinking in this moment? He doesn't know about the resurrection yet. So what is flooding his soul? Could, it be in, could he have been thinking, I failed him again? My word. I abandoned him at his arrest. I denied him in the midst of his trial. I wasn't present when he died, and now, and now, and now his body's gone too? Could Peter have been thinking to himself, had I just kept my word, none of this would have happened? Can you relate? You bring any guilt with you to the tomb this morning? You bring any disappointments? You know it's Easter. You know it's joy. But in your heart of hearts, you know as well that you failed Jesus over and over and over again. 
Look in the tomb. Look in the tomb. Jesus is not there, and neither is your guilt and shame. Jesus is not there, and neither is your guilt and shame. He rose from the dead to cover your guilt and shame. Christian, put a smile on your face, please. He rose from the grave to, to, to forgive you and to free you from your guilt and shame. If you were here on Good Friday, you know you're Peter. John. Now John. John goes in. The text says he saw. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe. What? We talk about. You just peek your eyes in there and you believe. What do you mean you believe? How's that work? How's Mary Magdalene, who dearly loves Jesus, why doesn't she get to believe right off the bat? I mean, come on. Peter. Peter went up barging up in there. He's the one who's going to get the keys to the kingdom of God. He's the one who's going to go preaching in Acts chapter 2. He's the one who, who, who's going to help build the church. Why in the world doesn't he get to walk right in there and be like, huh, that's pretty cool. He, yeah, I believe. Have you ever stopped to consider why in the world does John, what is motivating John? You simply have John. Why does he say over and over and over again, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John, John, John. Here you have John, this man who comes to the tomb simply devoted. He just comes with a simple devotion. But still this question resides, why does he, why does he get to believe? John didn't have all the answers. The text is pretty clear that in that moment, he didn't know about the 55 prophecies that were just fulfilled in Jesus' resurrection. He wasn't able to watch the History Channel documentary on the 10 myths being debunked on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He didn't know any of that. He didn't have any scientific evidence to back it up. He simply looked inside and he says, I believe. Friends, why is this here? because faith is a gift. This is here simply to remind us that faith is a gift. John didn't earn this. He didn't love Jesus any more than the other two. He didn't understand the scriptures better than the other two. Verse 9 clearly says this. It states none of them, none of them, not one of them understood the resurrection from the scriptures. Get your mind around that. Faith is a gift. And here we see John simply motivated by devotion. And in simple devotion, God granted him the faith to believe. Sometimes preachers get really caught up on Resurrection Sunday of wanting to give you all the proofs. Wanting to go through all 55 prophecies fulfilled and wanting to give you the scientific evidence and archaeological finds that were found. You're saved by faith. You're saved by faith. You're saved by faith. You're saved by faith. And in a moment, in a moment, John simply looked upon the empty tomb and he said, I deserve to be there, I believe. This is the faith that saves us, friends. God desires to offer you the same saving faith. Whoa, 
Romans 10, 9, and 10. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, and we confess with our mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You will be saved. The lights will come on. Our eyes will be enlightened. Our ears will be tuned to hear. And now with eyes of devotion, hearts of devotion, look inside the tomb now. Jesus isn't there, but you'll see that it's full. Full of forgiveness. You'll see that it's full of faith. And it's full of a future where your king reigns. Come on, friends, here's the final thing. Today we celebrate a risen king and now here we exalt him as he sits upon his eternal throne. Verse 11, the disciples leave. Mary's left standing outside the tomb. She's weeping, she's weeping. And then she looks inside the tomb and what does she see? She sees two angels, verse 12. What are, what are, what, as she's looking in, what do they say to her? What do they say? Why, Mary, why are you weeping? Why am I weeping? What do you mean why am I weeping? Boom, just like that, she turns around and Jesus is standing right there. Can you imagine this moment? There's only one problem. She doesn't recognize him. Who are you? Who are you? Did you take him? Presuming he is the gardener, presume, she just... She just, she just confused the king for the gardener. Come on. You been there? You ever have that moment? Oh, 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 oh. But by the way, gardener, if you did take his body, can you tell me what you have done with him? And I love this. I love this. Jesus looks at her and says, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Christian, I want to ask you again, why are you weeping? No, for real, like, why are you weeping? How beautiful is what happens next? What I want you to notice is it wasn't the sound of Jesus' voice that woke her eyes. It wasn't the sound of Jesus' voice that brought her to saving faith. You could open this Bible and read it over and over again. You can hear the words of the Lord over and over and over again. That's not merely what saves you. you look, 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 what opened her eyes? What opened her eyes? What? Tell me, what is it? What did he do? Mary. Jesus called her by name, and in the moment he called her by her name, her eyes awoke, her soul became alive. She now recognizes the Lord Jesus Christ, and the next words out of her mouth are, Rabbanai, my teacher, my follower, my Lord, and here, and here are hearts. We run to John chapter 10, verse 3. It says this, to the gatekeeper, to the gatekeeper he opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and then he he leads them out. She sees, she hears. She's been granted the gift of faith in this morning, friends. So can you. 
and your, action, your reaction will be the same as hers. When you see the risen Lord for the very first time, I trust that your reaction will be the same as hers. If not physically, spiritually, you will fall to your knees and you will grab hold. She's clinging to Jesus. She's clinging to his ankles. She's clinging to his feet. Sound familiar? And then Jesus graciously says, hey, hey, hey. going anywhere just just yet but I am going somewhere it's okay let go let go you gotta let go because you're the first person I'm gonna send you can't stay you can't you can't you can't stay here clung to my ankles because you're the first person I'm gonna send Mary you gotta go Mary, you got to go. You've experienced my love. Now it's time for you to be sent. Go, Mary. Go. Go tell the others. Go. Go tell the others. Tell them. Tell them I'm alive. Tell them I'm risen. Tell them you've experienced my love. Tell them, Mary. Mary, go. Go tell. What does it say? What does your text say? Go tell the, go tell the other ones. Go tell the disciples. Go tell the, go tell, go tell who? What's it say? Come on, lift up your voice. What does it say? Go tell the Brothers. Go tell my brothers, go tell my brothers, go tell my brothers. For the first time in your Bible, the disciples are called Jesus' brother. Here is Jesus, the elder brother. Here is Jesus Christ. Atonement has been made. Forgiveness has been granted. The blood has been applied. They are now adopted. What is left for them but to see the risen Lord, their self, and finally have faith to believe. Their names had already been written down in the Lamb's book of life, and now it was finally time for them to lay eyes upon the risen Lord that the eyes of their heart would come to see him. That's where you are today. And if Jesus Christ has brought you to this place, it's because he is calling you unto himself and he desires for you to see him as well. Why have you come? Why have you come? Why to the empty tomb again have you come? I believe it's because Jesus wants you to see He says to Mary, I'm going to ascend to my father and your father. I'm going to my God and your God. There's no theological dissonance here at all. The Trinity. For he's going to go to the Father. And the Spirit's going to come. And what do we see? Mary goes back and she says, I have seen the Lord, she believes. I have seen the Lord, she believes. John, what do we know about John? John already believed, didn't he? What's to be said of Peter? What about Peter? What about Peter? Given the first opportunity to preach, here is what Peter proclaims. Would you stand with me for this? Given the first opportunity to preach, this is what Peter proclaims. 
This is our message. This is what we have. This is the power of the resurrection. This is the full story. This is the first time the gospel is proclaimed. He want to know what happens to Peter? Peter looks out among the masses at the day of Pentecost, and here is what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested, to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus you delivered up according to the defined plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But now, but now God raised him up. He's loosed the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. For David said this concerning him, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Peter goes on. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, he says, I, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his that he would set one of his descendants upon his throne. And so David foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, this Jesus, God raised him up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted. He is now exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has now poured him out on all of us. We who have seen all that you see, all that you're experiencing, this is all from our Lord. Why? Because our King is risen and He is reigning. Church, hear it again. He is risen. He is risen. The King is risen and reigning. Let us sing.